Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum radio show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for, bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing one of the speakers from our upcoming apologetics conference on October 8th and 9th, Elizabeth Urbanowitz. Elizabeth is the founder of Foundation Worldview, a Christian ministry. Elizabeth is a follower of Jesus Christ who is passionate about knowing Jesus and making him known. She holds a BS from Gordon College in elementary education in Spanish and an MS from Northern Illinois University in literacy education and an MA in Christian apologetics from Biola University. Elizabeth spent the first decade of her professional career as an elementary school teacher in a Christian school and now works full-time on developing comparative worldview and apologetics resources for children. Elizabeth, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me on today, Roy. One of the driving forces of starting our apologetics ministry here in Portland, the Ambassadors Forum, was a whole slew of statistical studies that show that somewhere between 60 to 70, even 80% of the kids in good churches, those kids are walking away from their faith in high school Mm -hmm. and college. First of all, where do you think that exodus is starting? Is it in college and high school? Or do you think there are seeds that are being planted in middle school or even elementary school that are just yielding their fruit when kids hit high school or college? A lot of times we don't think about looking for solutions to a problem until we already start to see the symptoms of it. A lot of times we don't think about being preventative in our measures. And so when we look at the research out there, you know, um, there's been a lot of research done on the youth exodus. And one thing that I really appreciate about the research that's been done, uh, especially by Barna, is they've really sought to dive deep into, okay, not just statistically how many kids are leaving, but what is the research behind that? Like, what are the reasons why? And so they found actually six common reasons. This was about a decade ago, and they reported the findings in a book called You Lost Me. And they found six common mm-hmm. reasons why young adults you know, leave the faith typically before their 30th birthday. And a lot of the reasons that they found are things that we could actually really be preventative of Mm. in the elementary years, because they found that kids and teens and young adults sometimes find that the church is shallow, that it's anti-science, that it doesn't leave room for any doubts or questions. And a lot of times what happens is we don't really see the symptoms of these things until kids are teens or maybe even in college Mm, or post college. mm. But in the world in which we live, because all of us are presented with so many competing ideas every day because of the prevalence of information at younger and younger ages, you know, kids are starting to wonder whether or not they can trust what they've been taught at home and what they've Mm -hmm. been taught at church. One of the things that I just love so much about what God has given us in his word and what he's revealed through the Christian worldview is that it actually lines up with reality. Like we Mm -hmm. Christians Mm -hmm. don't need Mm -hmm. to fear seeking truth, but a lot of times we don't think about helping kids understand that until we already 
see the symptoms, you know, of these seeds of doubt. So that's why I am passionate about, as you said, really addressing these seeds before they have an opportunity to germinate. Because I saw this even in my own classroom. Like I started my professional career as a third grade teacher in a Christian Mm. school. And I never thought that the students in my classroom might have questions or uncertainties or doubts, you know, that they just weren't vocalizing. But one year I decided to speak on the reliability of scripture in a Mm. third through fifth grade chapel. And I thought that I was being completely preventative, you know, that no one would have thought in third, fourth, or fifth grade. But I decided to give it a survey ahead of time to see if the kids, you know, Mm. if they had any questions, if they had Mm. actually thought Mm. that. And so I gave it out to the third, fourth, and fifth graders at the school where I was teaching. It was about 180 students in those grades at the time. And I was thinking like, you know, maybe like 10 students, (laughs) you know, in that portion of the student body had wondered this before. But I was shocked to find that actually 79% of the kids in third through fifth grade said that they had wondered, yeah, whether or not they could trust the Bible. And they had legitimate questions that are some of the same questions that adults have. And that was a real wake up moment for me to think, wow, every day I am teaching these students in my class scripture, but I have never taken the opportunity to take a step back and help them understand why we can Mm -hmm. confidently place our trust in the biblical worldview. So are a lot of these seeds that we're not aware that are germinating below the surface and we're really wise to be preventative Mm. rather than waiting until these seeds, you know, break through the surface, but to address them, you know, in their infancy stages. (laughs) Mm. I thought about this concept. It's this idea of developmentally appropriate Mm. and help our listeners to understand some of the developmental stages that children go through, how can we adapt our teaching styles Mm. to be most effective in those different stages? I think one thing that can be very confusing for us and even understanding how do we equip our kids to think well is that really when our children are aged seven and younger, they're going to believe almost anything that comes out of our mouths. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, they think very highly of us and they love us. And, you know, whatever we tell them is viewed as gospel truth. And this is a good thing because this is, you know, this is how God designed developmentally for our children to be. And for very important reasons, you know, like when we tell our child not to cross the street without looking, you know, like, or we tell them to stop when they're about to put their hand on the stove, like, they need to listen to us, you know, without us giving a logical argument for why they need to do so. But I think one thing that we get confused of is when they're in this phase where they just take all of our words as gospel truth and they sing, Jesus loves me, you know, like, and they express love for God. Those are (laughs) such good things and they're developmentally appropriate. But Mm -hmm. a lot of times what we don't realize is that very, very rapidly, our children are approaching this stage where we are no longer going to be the loudest or most trusted voice in their Mm. life. And now this is also part of the developmental stages that our kids go through. You know, once they get to that eight, nine, 10 range, they start to realize that there are different ways of looking at the world. There Mm. are perspectives outside of their own. And so in that eight, nine, 10 range, you know, they still really care what we think because, you know, like we're their parents or their teacher or their, you know, like their Sunday school leader, they still really care about that, but they're starting to think, Hmm, you know, there are different ways of viewing the world. And then once they reach that 11, 12, 13 stage, you know, they start to become more self-aware and more self-conscious and they really mm. care about what their peers think and what other mm. people who, who are viewed as leaders think. And so if we're not careful, 
in that stage where they're seven and younger and then, you know, eight to 10, if we don't actually train them to think well, if we just expect them to listen and believe everything we tell them, what we're doing is we're training them to blindly follow the voice that is the loudest in Mm. their life. Mm. And, you know, that's going to be us up until seven years of age and, you know, maybe even a little bit longer, but that's very quickly going to change to be their peers, to be other people that they look up to. And so while they're in these formative years, what we want to do is we really want to train Mm. them to carefully evaluate every idea that comes their way so that as they mature and develop into these stages where, you know, we're not Mm. the primary, primary influencer in their life, they're equipped to ask good questions, you know, questions like, why do you think that? Why do you believe that's true? What if it's not true? And so we really need to be intentional at equipping our kids to ask good questions and evaluate all the ideas that come their way. Now, this is really, really annoying (laughs) when kids are in our home. (laughs) Like it just is because when we're training our kids to ask good questions, they're going to start to question what we say a lot more. (laughs) Yes, I, I know every parent out there and grandparent can relate to the whys. You know, I like what you're saying, Elizabeth, because inadvertently by shutting that down, you know, if it gets to the point you're on the fourth or the fifth or the seventh why, and you're like, look, because I said so, (laughs) what we're doing, you're right. We are training them to say, you know, a little bit of uh, curiosity is okay, but at Mm -hmm. some point you just have to listen to the authorities and we have to be very careful about setting that tone or uh, training that attitude in our kids. That's really good. Right. And I mean, obviously there are times, you know, where we're not going to have the time to sit down for 20 minutes with our kids and build a logical argument. You know, if if they're at soccer (laughs) practice and we have to go and they're like, why? You know, we might just have to say, because I told you so. But then if we can circle back later when we have time and say, you know what, I didn't have time in the moment to explain why to you, but let's sit down and talk about this, (laughs) you know, talk about this now, um, because we're not going to have time in every single moment. But if we can actually carve out time at some point, you know, to Mm. answer those questions, it's really, really important. So that's one of the key things for really making things developmentally appropriate. And if we can just Mm. really zero in on training our kids to ask good questions, then we're setting them up for success in these later stages of development. So those are things that I think Mm. are key in being developmentally appropriate. That's really good. And when we started homeschooling, I remember my my wife was an educator. Her degree is in education. And then when we started homeschooling our own kids, she had papers and, you know, just, just volumes of all these studies that said that any kid anywhere learns best from a teacher that they know, knows them and cares about them. But you're right. In any situation, the more you can know your kid and what's behind the why that they're asking and give them context and time, 
is so important. <laughs> you mentioned at the beginning of this program just about you know the upcoming conference in October. Yeah. And that's one of the things that in one of the sessions I'm going to lead that we're going to dive down deeper into how can we ask good questions and also how can we really get to the heart behind the question? Because I think the right <laughs> answer to the wrong question exactly. is still yep. the wrong answer. Yes, <laughs> and so exactly. we have to make sure we understand what are our kids really getting at when they ask why or when they ask yes. a certain question that might shock us or intimidate us. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good transition, Elizabeth. You will be giving three talks at the conference. Again, it's October 8th and 9th. You're going to be giving three talks there. I think the first one is Raising Children to Think Critically About the Christian Worldview. Also, Equipping Our Children to Discern and Follow Truth. And then lastly, a breakout called Apologetics for Kids. Can you give just kind of a quick little uh, explanation of those three things so people know what to expect at the conference? Yes. So in that first session, we're going to look at some of the current research that we've kind of just briefly touched on in this interview uh, of why children leave the faith and so, you know some of the main reasons there. And then we're going to look at how we can address that. And we're going to look at it very holistically. We're going to look at how can we really equip our children to think well, and then what do we need to do relationally to make sure that we have those solid relationships with our kids so that they're really open to us asking them good questions and thinking well, because we have to look at spiritual formation as a whole. And, you know, the mind is an incredibly important piece of that. And the heart is also as well. So we're going to really look at that holistically. And then in the next talk, we're going to get really practical into, you know, how do we help our kids, even young kids, understand what the concept of truth is. I think before I give that talk, Sean McDowell is going to give another talk on truth. And he's really going to get right. into the nitty gritty pieces of what is truth? What is our culture view as truth? How is that different than what mm. you know Christianity teaches? How is that different than what reality is? And then we're going to get really practical in my session of, okay, how can we take what we just learned in his session and teach it to our children in a way that's cool. really developmentally appropriate? And then in the apologetics for kids session, that's where we're again, going to get really hands-on and just look at, okay, if we want our kids to think well, what are some of these hands-on strategies that we can can use to translate, you know, sometimes really deep and lofty philosophical concepts down mm -hmm. to a level that, you know, a three-year-old or a five-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old can understand. Oh, that sounds great. One of the things that we've found, you know, in the ministry and as we've gone and given talks at high schools and even middle schools and chapels and open Q&As is a lot of times, especially teachers are really good at giving truth, but mm. not necessarily f so as much focused on training kids to recognize and refute mm. falsehoods. Sometimes I see teachers say, you know, if we just taught them more Bible stories, if we mm. just gave them more accurate truth from the Bible, then we've done our job. And so one of the things we've learned is, no, you actually have to go in there and teach them to recognize what doesn't belong, what's false. Right. You know, the Apostle Paul in Colossians, you know, gives us the directive to not be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy. So this means we actually need to be on guard. And then in 2 Corinthians, you know, we're given the directive that we need to actually be active in taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. 
Right. You know, so we actually need to know, you know, what does it look like for a thought to be obedient to Christ? And then what does it look like for a thought not to line up with the teachings of Christ? So something that I always tell parents and, and pastors and educators is that we really need to give our kids transferable skills that mm. they can use in any and every situation. Mm. So we need to make sure that we're equipping them first with just the skill of saying, okay, what is this idea that's come my way? Because a lot of times our kids think that if anything comes from a source that's labeled Christian, then that means that it's safe. Mm. Well, you know, anyone here who's received a catalog or a, even just a Facebook ad from a book distributors that are Christian, we know that there are many <laughs> books out right. there, right. you know, that are right. labeled right. Christian that are written by people who do not understand the truth of the Christian worldview and who are actually pushing ideas that are coming from alternate worldviews. So we want to make sure that we don't give our kids this false dichotomy of, okay, if something's Christian, you just shut your brain off and it's fine. And then right. if it's not Christian, you reject it. Because of God's common grace, there are non-Christians who write truth. Right. <laughs> and you know, right. there are also people who claim the name of Christ who are you know, breathing out falsehoods. <laughs> so we want them to always be asking, what is this idea? And is it true? And how do I know whether or not this is true. So just a few really practical skills is first, our kids have to know what the biblical worldview is. And so when I'm talking about the biblical worldview, I'm not talking about just understanding different narratives in scripture. Like, yes, our children do need to know scripture. They need to know what is this overarching story that God has written from Genesis 1-1 mm. to Revelation 22-21. Mm. You know, so they do need to know that. But then they need to understand how does that entire narrative speak to big questions in life. Like how does that entire narrative speak to the concept of truth or mm. the concept of who God is or the concept of what it means to be human, you know, so that we're not mm. just pulling out isolated Bible verses, but we're actually looking at how does scripture as a whole speak mm. to this? So I always recommend- That's good you know, that people help kids really understand, okay, let's look at this topic, you know, whether it's truth or whether it's God or whether it's what does it mean to be human or how can I tell right from wrong? And then look at how does the whole of scripture speak to this? But then on top of that, also looking at what are other ideas in our world that other worldviews are preaching are true about this concept of truth or this concept of God or this concept of humanity. And then having our kids compare and contrast these different ideas so that they can see, okay, what are the similarities with Christianity? What are the differences? And then looking at, okay, what do we find in the world around us? So that they're trained to recognize, oh my goodness, you know, what we looked at in scripture actually lines up with what we see all around us. So I think those are really right. important skills to give kids, like, you know, a worldview understanding and then the ability to compare and contrast different mm. ideas and evaluate what actually lines up with what mm. we find around us. When a child is in that situation where they say, you know what, I'm getting this from an authority source, maybe a pastor or at least an adult in a Sunday school. And maybe they say, uh, uh-oh, <laughs> I think what my pastor or my teacher just told me may not line up with this biblical worldview that I've been taught at home or that I've thought through. Or What do they do in that situation? An example I give, we taught a lot of our kids to square dance which is kind of a dying thing in, in today's <laughs> culture. But uh, we brought our kids and typically square dancers are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And here <laughs> we had our kids who were, I think our youngest was five when they took square dance lessons. And so 
picture a five-year-old girl all dressed up in a hoop skirt and doing all these things <laughs> and learning the dosado and the left alaman. And then they'd come up to a, an adult figure, either their parents' age or even their grandparents' age, which is like, no. And they reached out their right hand for a left alaman. The kid's stuck. And they're like, uh, so I know this is wrong. <laughs> do I give him my right hand because I know that's going to mess up the whole dance figure? Mm-hmm. Or do I try and in the moment correct an authority figure? I mean, we had that conversation with every kid who went through that of like, hey, mm-hmm. mom and dad, what do I do? <laughs> because what do I do when an adult is wrong, but I am not in a social situation where I am comfortable challenging them? We had a couple of different approaches that week, but I'm I'm interested what you try and encourage people to do when they get in that awkward situation. Actually, in one of the curriculums that our ministry has out, we actually have an entire lesson on this where we look Hmm. at what does it look like to evaluate whether or not what we're hearing from authority is correct. And Hmm. so something that we encourage kids to do is to be respectful towards authority. But anytime we hear something from an authority figure, just to always be asking ourselves, hmm, does this line up with truth? So that's just a good question to always have in our minds. Anytime we're listening to a Bible teacher, we need to make sure that we're constantly asking ourselves, does this line up with what scripture says? So we encourage kids to just really always be asking, is this true? Mm. How do I know it? And then we also have a whole unit in that same curriculum where we talk through how do we speak the truth in love? How do we ask good questions? Because usually it's not the best just to tell someone, well, you're wrong. <laughs> because, you know, whether that's whether right. that's a peer right. or whether that's an authority figure, that usually doesn't go over too well. You know, I mean, obviously, if it's a, right. if it's a really important situation, like someone is saying they're taking the wrong medicine, <laughs> yes, you know, and they're sure. like, this is a medicine for a headache and it's actually poison. That's the situation to say you're wrong because that's right. life or right. death. You know, right. but usually it's best to ask people questions, you know, and to say, that's interesting. How do we know whether or not that's true? Or what makes you think that's true? Because then we're giving the person an opportunity to explain their reasoning and they're also having to think. So that's what we encourage kids to do, whether it's in a situation with their peers or even an authority figure to just ask good questions, to be respectful and to be loving, but not to just uncritically take in something that someone is claiming is true. I think I heard on one of your podcasts or interviews, you talked about when this really became real for you, when you really got passionate about writing biblical worldview curriculum for elementary school kids Mm -hmm. was when you saw it with your own eyes in your own class, you created a curriculum, I think it was after focus on the family training Mm -hmm. thing. And then you came back and then you actually tried it out in your own classes and after school program. And you were just blown away by the results. You you actually saw, wow, good theology in action or (laughs) (laughs) whatever it is. And I know for a lot of the people that have gotten involved in our ministry, that's when the light bulb goes on. That's when the switch is flipped is when, oh, now my kid is asking that question or now Mm -hmm. I'm seeing this in a personal experience. What advice or encouragement would you give to the parents and the grandparents out there? Just a tiny step, just to be intentional, to seek Mm -hmm. out what resources 
can you get to equip you to begin getting these kids in your care to think critically? Because a lot of times we might have a desire for something, but God has gifted all of us differently. And our gifting might not be in getting kids to think critically, but there are other people out there who God has gifted in this way. And we can utilize them just to go and seek out different resources. My ministry foundation worldview has a bunch of different resources. There's also another great ministry called Mama Bear Apologetics. Another great one, Natasha Crane and her blog, Christian Mom Thoughts. That, you know, these are different people who God has gifted with the ability of helping take your kids from where they are now to this vision that you have for them of being able to think critically and understand the truth of the Christian worldview. So that would be my real encouragement that, you know, we have this vision, but if God hasn't gifted us with the skills, you know, to know how to execute that, take advantage of the other people in the body of Christ who God has gifted in that way. Awesome. Well, as always, Elizabeth, it is such a joy and a privilege to talk with you and thank you for being here. And I, I can't wait to see you at the conference in a couple of weeks. My pleasure, Roy. I'm really looking forward to being there. Now, how about you? Do you have kids or grandkids in your life that you want to see equipped in a biblical worldview that teaches them to see beauty and consistency and the reality that God has created around them? Are you looking for a community of shared Christian values where God is honored and worshiped and the Bible is seen as the source of ultimate truth? Go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com to register for our upcoming conference on October 8th and 9th There are so many great resources there that you can browse through and take a look at. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 